A Glass of Beer by James Stevens. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, go to LibriVox.org. A Glass of Beer by James Stevens. It was now his custom to sit there. The world has its habits. Why should a man not have his? The earth rolls out of light and into darkness, as punctually as a businessman goes to and from his office. The seasons come with the regularity of automata, and go as if they were pushed by an ejector. So, night after night, he strolled from the Place de l'Observatoire to the Fond Saint-Michel, and on the return journey sat down at the same café, at the same table, if he could manage it, and order the same drink. So regular had his attendance become that the waiter would suggest the order before it was spoken. He did not drink beer because he liked it, but only because it was not a difficult thing to ask for. Always he had been easily discouraged, and he distrusted his French almost as much as other people had reason to. The only time he had varied the order was to request un vin blanc gomme, but on that occasion he had been served with a postage stamp for twenty-five centimes and he still wondered when he remembered it. He liked to think of his first French conversation. He wanted something to read in English, but was timid of asking for it. He walked past all the newspaper kiosks on the boulevard, anxiously scanning the vendors inside. They were usually very stalwart, very competent females, who looked as though they had outgrown their sins, but remembered them with pleasure. They had the dully polished, slightly battered look of a modern antique. The words, Monsieur, Madame, rang from them as from bells. They were very alert, sitting, as it were, on tiptoe, and their eyes hit one as one approached. They were like spiders squatting in their little houses, waiting for their daily flies. He found one who looked jolly and harmless, sympathetic indeed, and to her, with a flourished hat, he approached. Said he, Donnez-moi, madame, s'il vous plaît, le daily mail. At the second repetition, the good lady smiled at him, a smile compounded of benevolence and comprehension, and instantly, with a voilà, monsieur, she handed him the New York Herald. They had saluted each other, and he marched down the road in delight, with his first purchase under his arm, and his first foreign conversation accomplished. At that time everything had delighted him, the wide well-lighted boulevard, the concierges knitting in their immense doorways, each looking like a replica of the other, each seeming sister to a kiosk-keeper or a cat. The exactly courteous speech of the people and their not-quite-so-rigorously-courteous manners pleased him. He listened to the voluble men who went by, speaking in a haste so breathless that he marvelled how the prepositions and conjunctions stuck to their duty in so swirling an ocean of chatter. There was a big black dog with a mottled head, who lay nightly on the pavement opposite the Square de l'Observatoire. At intervals he raised his lean skull from the ground and composed a low lament to an absent friend. His grief was respected. The folk who passed stepped sidewards for him, and he took no heed of their passage, a lonely, introspective dog to whom a caress or a bone were equally childish things. Let me alone, he seemed to say. I have my grief, and it is company enough. There was the very superior cat, who sat on every window ledge winking at life. He, for in France, all cats are masculine by order of philology, 
He did not care a rap for man or dog, but he liked women and permitted them to observe him. There was the man who insinuated himself between the tables at the café, holding out postcard representations of the Pantheon, the Louvre, Notre Dame and other places. From beneath these cards his dexterous little finger would suddenly flip others. One saw a hurried leg, an arm that shone and vanished, a bosom that fled shyly again, an audacious swan, a leader who was thoroughly enjoying herself and had never heard of virtue. His look suggested that he thought better of one than to suppose that one was not interested in the nude. Monsieur, he seemed to say, with his fixed brown-eyed regard, this is indeed a leg, an authentic leg, not disguised by even the littlest of stockings. It is arranged precisely as monsieur would desire it. His sorrow as he went away was dignified with regret for an inartistic gentleman. One was en garçon, and yet one would not look at one's postcards. One had better then cease to be an artist and take to peddling onions and asparagus as the vulgar do. It was all a long time ago, and now somehow the savour had departed from these things. Perhaps he had seen them too often. Perhaps a kind of public surreptitiousness, a quite open furtiveness, had troubled him. Maybe he was not well. He sat at his café, three-quarters down the boulevard, and before him a multitude of grotesque beings were pacing as he sipped his bock. Good manners decreed that he should not stare too steadfastly, and he was one who obeyed these delicate dictations. Alas, he was one who obeyed all dictates. For him, authority wore a halo, and many sins which his heyday ought to have committed had been left undone, and only because they were not sanctioned by immediate social usage. He was often saddened when he thought of the things he had not done. It was the only sadness to which he had access, because the evil deeds which he had committed were of so tepid and hygienic a character that they could not be mourned for without hypocrisy. And now that he was released from all privileged restraints and overlookings and could do whatever he wished, he had no wish to do anything. His wife had been dead for over a year. He had hungered, he had prayed for her death. He had hated that woman, and for how many years, with a kind of masked ferocity. How often he had been tempted to kill her or to kill himself. How often he had dreamed that she had run away from him, or that he had run away from her. He had invented Russian princes and music hall stars, and American billionaires with whom she could adequately elope, and he had both loved and loathed the prospect. What unending slow quarrels they had together! How her voice had droned pitilessly on his ears! She in one room, he in another and through the open door there rolled that unending recitation of woes and reproaches, an interminable catalogue of nothings, while he sat dumb as a fish, with a mind that smouldered or blazed. He had stood unseen with a hammer, a poker, a razor in his hand, on tiptoe to do it. A movement, a rush, one silent rush, and it was done. He had revelled in her murder. He had caressed it, rehearsed it, relished it, had jogged her head back and hacked and listened to her entreaties bubbling through blood. And then she died. When he stood by her bed he had wished to taunt her, but he could not do it. He read in her eyes, I am dying, and in a little time I shall have vanished like dust on the wind, but you will still be here, and you will never see me again. He wished to ratify that, to assure that it was actually so, 
to say that he would come home on the morrow night and she would not be there and that he would return home every night and she would never be there but he could not say it somehow the words although he desired them would not come his arm went to her neck and settled there his hand caressed her hair her cheek he kissed her eyes her lips her languid hands and the words that came were only an infantile babble of regrets and apologies assurances that he did love her that he had never loved anyone before and never would love anyone again everyone who passed looked into the cafe where he sat everyone who passed looked at him there were men with sallow faces and wide black hats some had hair that flapped about them in the wind and from their locks one gathered with some distaste the spices of araby some had cravats that fluttered and fell and rose again like banners in a storm there were men with severe spade-shaped most responsible-looking beards and quizzical little eyes which gave the lie to their hairy sedateness eyes which had spent long years in looking sidewards as a woman passed there were men of every stage of foppishness men who had spent so much time on their moustaches that they only had a little left for their fingernails but their moustaches exonerated them others who were coated to happiness trousered to grotesqueness and booted to misery he thought in the city the men wear their own coats but they all wear someone else's trousers and their boots are syndicated he saw no person who was self-intent they were all deeply conscious not of themselves but of each other they were all looking at each other they were all looking at him and he returned the severe or humorous or appraising gaze of each with a look nicely proportioned to the passer giving back exactly what was given to him and no more he did not stare for nobody stared he just looked and looked away and was as mannerly as was required a negro went by arm in arm with a girl who was so sallow that she was only white by courtesy he was a bulky man and as he bent greedily over his companion it was evident that to him she was whiter than the snow of a single night women went past in multitudes and he knew the appearance of them all how many times he had watched them or their duplicates striding and mincing and bounding by each moving like an animated note of interrogation they were long and medium and short there were women of a thinness beyond comparison sheathed in skirts as featly as a rapier in a scabbard there were women of a monumental a mighty fatness who billowed and rolled in multitudinous stormy garments there were slow eyes that drooped on one heavily as a hand and quick ones that stabbed and withdrew and glanced again appealingly and slid away cursing there were some who lounged with a false sedateness and some who fluttered in an equally false timidity some wore velvet shoes without heels some had shoes the heels whereof were of such inordinate length that the wearers looked as though they were perched on stilts and would topple to perdition if their skill failed for an instant they passed and they looked at him and from each after the due regard he looked away to the next in interminable procession there were faces also to be looked at round chubby faces wherefrom the eyes of oxen stared in slow involved rumination long faces that were keener than hatchets and as cruel faces that pretended to be scornful and were only piteous 
faces contrived to ape a temperament other than their own raddled faces with heavy eyes and rouged lips ragged lips that had been chewed by every mad dog in the world what lips there were everywhere bright scarlet splashes in dead white faces thin red gashes that suggested rat traps instead of kisses bulbous flabby lips that would wobble and shiver if attention failed them lips of a horrid fascination that one looked at and hated and ran to looking at him slyly or boldly they passed along and turned after a while and repassed him and turned again in promenade he had a sickness of them all there had been a time when these were among the things he mourned for not having done but that time was long past he guessed at their pleasures and knew them to be without salt life said he is as unpleasant as a plate of cold porridge somehow the world was growing empty for him he wondered was he outgrowing his illusions or his appetites or both the things in which other men took such interest were drifting beyond him and for it seemed that the law of compensation can fail nothing was drifting towards him in recompense he foresaw himself as a box with nothing inside it and he thought it is not through love or fear or distress that men commit suicide it is because they have become empty both the gods and the devils have deserted them and they can no longer support that solemn stagnation he marvelled to see with what activity men and women played the most savourless of games with what zest of pursuit they tracked what petty interests he saw them as ants scurrying with scraps of straw or apes that pick up and drop and pick again and he marvelled from what fount they renewed themselves or with what charms they exorcised the demons of satiety on this night life did not seem worth while the taste had gone from his mouth his bock was water vilely coloured his cigarette was a hot stench and yet a full moon was peeping in the trees along the path and not far away where the countryside bowed in silver quietude the rivers ran through undistinguishable fields chanting their lonely songs the seas leaped and withdrew and called again to the stars and gathered in ecstasy and roared skywards and the trees did not rob each other more than was absolutely necessary the men and women were all hidden away sleeping in their cells where the moon could not see them nor the clean wind nor the stars they were sundered for a little while from their eternal arithmetic the grasping hands were lying as quietly as the paws of a sleeping dog those eyes held no further speculation than the eyes of an ox who lies down the tongues that had lied all day and been treacherous and obscene and respectful by easy turn said nothing more and he thought it was very good that they were all hidden and that for a little time the world might swing darkly with the moon in its own wide circle and its silence he paid for his buck gave the waiter a tip touched his hat to a lady by sex and a gentleman by clothing and strolled back to his room that was little his candle that was three-quarters consumed and his picture which might be admired when he was dead but which he would never be praised for painting and after sticking his foot through the canvas he tugged himself to bed agreeing to commence the following morning just as he had the previous one and the one before that 
and the one before that again. That was A Glass of Beer by James Stevens. Read by Michael Daly.